all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. All right, we'll, we'll crack on. Hello and welcome to the Early Careers Podcast with myself, Ollie. And me, Jack. And today we are going down under. Uh, we are kicking off, oh, not kicking off our global series. We are continuing our global series and heading to Australia. Um, so we've already touched on a couple of um, areas of the world, which Jack will touch on in a sec. And this podcast is going to be actually the, the last in our series four. Uh, would you believe it, Jack? We've done four series. I don't know four series. It's slowed by, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, has, and uh, I think we started in South Africa in series four. We're going to end in Australia, uh, having covered all bunch of stuff since there. We've gone through uh, placements in the UK, interviewing IBM and TUI. We spoke to Sir John Holman about the Gatsby benchmarks. We spoke about onboarding, some local recruitment in, in Nottingham for apprentices. Uh, we'll do a bit of a, a roundup of Series 4 after after this, but let's speak to our special guest today, who is Julianne Katrupi. Uh, Julianne is the Careers Manager at the University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, Julianne, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. And good pronunciation of the name, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So I guess the listeners will probably have been expecting an Australian accent. But if you want to touch on uh, how uh, your career and how you've got to there, I guess people will understand why it has more of a UK twang. Yes. Sorry to disappoint for those expecting an Australian <laughs> accent. Um, yes, I have been over here for um, 11 years now. I am an Australian citizen and um, I am originally from Liverpool in England, so my accent um, is still still there, depending on who I'm speaking to, <laughs> and they'll say stronger than others. But um, yeah, I've been here about 11 years, um, worked in the UK at the University of Liverpool in an area that was helping graduates um, stay in Liverpool and find work in Liverpool, and then um, moved over to Australia, worked in HR for a little bit, and then moved back into um, education and ends up in this role, which is an absolute privilege, um, leading the team and helping our students find um, rewarding careers and, um, yes, keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> okay, lovely stuff. Yeah. Thanks very much for that. So, um, we're here in Australia. We're going to be talking about the Australian um, graduate recruitment uh, system and the market, mm-hmm. how that might be different from um, some other places. And it's yep. part of our global series. So we have been to South Africa and we have been to Southeast Asia. And mm-hmm. uh, next season we're going to be going to North America. And the idea is we're trying oh. to bring together all of these um, different ways that graduate recruitment is run. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to achieve the same sorts of things, but people are doing it in, in different ways. Some things are, are very similar, yeah. some things are pretty different. So we thought perhaps we could talk today um, about um, the market in Australia, um, what that looks like, um, talk about some of its peculiarities, mm-hmm. and then, um, maybe explore some of the differences and similarities and maybe touch on some of the things we spoke about before, which were, were tech and, and social mobility and how they uh, might be yeah. slightly different in, in Australia. So maybe we can start with that, yeah, a little bit about yeah. how the market might be a bit different. Yes, yeah, sounds good. So, um 
For those who haven't been to Australia, we are a huge country, and geographically it's a pretty big piece of land. We only have 43 universities, which for the size of the country is, is quite small. However, um, that's across eight different states, and um, that can be, you know, anything between 30-minute drive between universities to a five-hour flight. So it's um, quite a bit of um, distance between some of the universities. <laughs> Um, mm, which is almost the complete opposite to the UK, right? Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. Which is like 30 times smaller, and uh, yeah, you've got three times as many universities. Yes, um, it is pretty <laughs> different. And, um, and there's, a, there's a postcard that I always see in the souvenir shops, which is Australia, the map of Europe, and it pretty much is going from, you know, England to Greece. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> quite, quite a difference. Um, but yeah, we have about 1.3 million students, um, around 350 odd thousand international students, which at UTS, the university I'm at, is um, about 30% of our population. And because um, there's 43 universities, the size is also quite different to, to the UK. And the university that I'm at right now, we have 44,000 students. Um, so Would that be considered to be a... A large university or mid-sized? Um, I'd say that's mid-sized, really. Um, the largest would be around 70,000. And then, um, yeah, there's a group of us that are all around that, you know, late 20s to late 40,000 students. Yeah, so, so these, are, these are huge unis, aren't they? <laughs> they, are, yeah. they are massive. I think that you mentioned the largest, uh, around 70. I think it's, I've just checked this morning, doing, I've got a quiz for you both. Uh, oh, oh. See how you get on. Um, the 78,000 is Monash, oh. which is in Melbourne. Um, yeah. How do we think that compares to the UK? Do we think, um, well, let's pick mm. on, you uh, talked about UTS, which is University of Technology Sydney. Um, yeah. You said that's got 40 odd thousand um, yeah. students, which is undergrads and postgrads. Sure is, yeah. Or just, yeah, both. Um, so how do you think that compares to the UK? The larger, the smaller. Uh, I don't know. Should we guess on the size of a particular university? We could compare it. Go on then. Like Manchester or somewhere. Manchester, which is widely considered one of the largest universities. How um, does Manchester have? Um, Manchester. <laughs> 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 you know, it's not part of the quiz. You asked oh. a few questions. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Manchester is one of the largest. Um, in terms of undergrads, Manchester has 27,000 and 40 odd thousand overall, but it's mm -hmm. not the largest in terms of undergrads, which is, any guesses? Uh, uh, Leeds? Leeds is very good, um, but not quite there. I think it's like third. Uh, Julianne? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if it's, um, it's going to be down south, just thinking of the amount of students down in London. Maybe. Is it? Yeah, that, that it's, silence it's, um, isn't a good sign. <laughs> yeah, very good. So UCL is uh, the largest, so 40, mm. well, I think it's 41,000 overall, which is about 50-50 um, postgrads and undergrads. But actually, mm. the largest university in the UK is the Open University. Oh, uh, with 120 no, question. Trick question. <laughs> Big trick question, um, which takes us on to the, the globe. So what do we think in terms of the globe? What is the largest university in the world? The university now, if you can pick this, huge points. Oh, my God, he's got there. 
Yeah, the Indira Gandhi National Open University um, in New Delhi. Uh, how many um, students does it have? Like these enrollment figures, obviously. It's uh, a million. A million, Julianne? Higher or lower? Oh, I don't know. A little bit lower. A little bit lower. A little bit lower. Five million. Five million students. Yeah. Holy moly. That's massive. Wow. So, yeah, that's a bit of an impromptu quiz, but obviously there's some huge, huge universities that are mainly online. But mm. actually, when you compare, say, the UK to, to Australia, um, the UK has some very large universities in, say, Manchester, UCL. Um, but on average, they're mainly sort of in the teens um, yeah. overall. So, so Whereas you're saying in, in the UK, like half the size of the biggest university in, in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and that does have some differences. Hasn't worked in a university in the UK and in Australia. You know, it's sort of there's benefits to both. Yes, but um, we do find that um, because of the size of the classes, we don't really know the students that well. So it does make that a little bit more challenging. The students that we know incredibly well, but then the students that we just will never come into contact with, and that's sort of one of the goals of our team is to connect with them all through the curriculum if we if we can. Mm. From a from a student perspective, do you mm-hmm. see many students um come internationally? I think you mentioned this earlier. How yeah. where do they all come from? Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting. So at ETS we have um about thirty percent international students, majority of those would be from China and then um yeah of places like South Korea, Vietnam, and India would be some of our um, most popular uh, countries, but we also find that um, this is one of the things that was quite different and I suppose a surprise for me when I um, migrated to Australia was our domestic students or what we describe as commuter students, so they live at home, they don't necessarily move to go away to university. Where um, when I left the UK, and you know over ten years ago, that was more so the case. That people went to university to have that full experience of living away from home and being a different place. And yeah, whereas that's not typically how it's done in Australia. Mm, that's interesting. So how, how does that affect? Uh, I guess that, that the whole experience must be very different then to the UK. Yeah, it is. It is, as in you think about even in the the graduate recruitment piece. Often, um, these these students are um, or graduates even are starting their careers and potentially still living with their parents have never left home. So um, that's something that we're preparing them for that transition when they're still going home and perhaps mum and dad or whoever the family unit consists of are doing their washing or cooking their tea and <laughs> those sorts mm. of things. Which, uh, you know, is definitely not the expectation of anything in the UK. So um, that's quite different. It also means that in Sydney, where our campus is, um, the majority of our students have got quite a commute to get to campus. So they can be travelling up to, you know, an hour and a half one way to attend class. So, um, wow. They, yeah. So they're not kind of like on campus all the time. So it's probably, you know, not as straightforward to just drop into the career centre. Exactly. Exactly, which is why in our team we've really tried to focus on the curriculum, thinking, well, not all our students have the luxury of being able to attend the 
events and the opportunities that we have to be able to just pop in when they've got a question so try and be there for them when we know they definitely will be on campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you had to adapt things in other ways? Um, yeah so um, we do try and embrace technology as much as we can and I say that you know it's a bit of an asterisk we're all still sort of trying to be as online as we possibly can but um the way we see it is if our students are commuting for an hour and a half to get to campus, if there's ways that they can get that support online during that commute or when they get back home and perhaps finish the shifts at work this place, there's ways that they can access our services remotely and not, not in any way standing up as a role model for this. We're still sort of learning and trying to embrace technology, but, you know, as much as saying we're a human, um, human machine team and there's some things that technology can do a great job for us and then there's other things where we, we try and do um, and maintain that um, human human touch. Mm. So you could be a bit um, far ahead certainly compared to the UK which obviously has digitalised a lot of its career mm-hmm. provision um, yes. but you've had to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> you do that due to the nature of how the universities work. Uh, when I think in the UK at the moment, obviously with everything going on uh, with the coronavirus, everyone is really trying to digitalise certainly the teaching uh, online and also how that looks from a careers perspective mm-hmm. and support there. So, uh, yeah, I guess you, you've already had that challenge and you've been doing that for a while. Yeah. Um, it did make things a little bit easier as in, I'm sure, like all organisations when we all started our business continuity plans and looking at how we were going to do the work that we do and it was quite reassuring to go actually you know even if we shut down the office for a week our students would still be quite well serviced we didn't need to do that but you know if we took a week off to just you know regroup and reprioritize our services there was still quite a bit that they could access but I'd say you know the industry itself has um really embrace technology and um, not just in careers but in you know the suppliers and the the graduate recruiters they um quite keen to embrace technology which i think comes back to the geographical point that i made earlier as well that sometimes you just cannot be on campus um you know if, if you want to go to a university in perth it's a five-hour flight and sometimes you just can't make that happen so being able to embrace technology is um you your solution. What sort of mm. services then can a student access online? Like, like can they do like yeah. a, a one-on-one or? Yeah, yeah. So, um, essentially, um, one-on-one advising. That's that's absolutely fine. We use Zoom or Teams for that. We also use um, machine learning for resume reviews, so the students can, you know, upload a resume, get multiple feedback on it, and keep adapting it. And that's available to them, you know, whenever they wish to do that. Um, we've also. Uh, so if I'm a student oh, yeah. at the university and I want yeah. some advice on my on my CV and my resume, yeah. I can just submit my yeah. my CV yeah. and it, it gives me feedback on that. How does that work? Yeah. So we use a platform called VMOC. It's a funny name. <laughs> V-M-O-C-K. And um, essentially students upload their resume. Oh, sorry, we call it resumes here. CVs. Um, upload their resume and... Um, it generates a score and um, sets a 
benchmark and that benchmark score is based on all the resumes that we've fed the machine. <laughs> so we fed it um, a couple of hundred resumes and said this is what a good resume looks like for us. But without um, the reason we fed it so many was so we didn't have a cookie cutter UTS resume. You know, the last thing we wanted was um, recruiters to go, hang on a minute, I've seen this before. Oh gosh, everyone from UTS has the same resume. <laughs> so we created a couple of different benchmarks that people could um, match their resumes against. So whether it's more technical resume, whether it's in certain disciplines, and then they just keep refining their resume and their score hopefully improves. <laughs> and then if it doesn't improve, because um, we're able to see the data, we're able to see, okay, you know, perhaps Jack has had five goes and he's only managed to get his resume up by five points. Um, let's reach out to him. <laughs> yeah, he needs to make it. Um, <laughs> he's yeah, not learning very yeah. fast, this guy, is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's where we're saying he's coming in the machine. Ah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then being able to provide that personalised scale where we're going, okay, the machine's going to do the, the hard work, it's reviewing resumes at 2am when my team, you know, our team just won't do that. <laughs> um, but then we're able to go into the system and go, hang on a minute, we can identify those students that we wouldn't usually even know needed our help because we're seeing that this score isn't increasing and how can we reach out to them and, yeah, help them be supported. Yeah, that sounds really good. But it's almost allowing you, obviously allowing students to do things in their own time whilst also giving you the data to understand how they're progressing. So mm-hmm. you can be, I guess, proactive to them. Uh, if they do yeah. need the support, I think that's, that sounds really good. It's called VMOC, you say? Yeah, VMOC. So, you know, anyone can use it. The only thing with the anyone can use it um, portal is that, you know, obviously it's not comparing your resume with people um, at your level. It's just comparing your resume to whatever they've got in their system. Whereas the UTS one and when universities purchase the software, you feed it resumes based on, you know, a typical recent grad. Yeah. Okay. That sounds that sounds really interesting. Um you mentioned some other um great uses of tech when we spoke before. Do you want to give us an insight to some of those? Yeah, yeah, so I'd say um as you know, suppliers and industry are doing some fantastic things. So um, you know, I'd say that one of the pivotal moments in Australia was um when um we had free recent graduates go through a graduate program and said it, it has to be a bit easy to find out about this and they launched something called Grad Connection, which you probably may maybe heard of. I think they've got a UK um, yeah, yeah, UK presence and then essentially they changed things quite a bit because suddenly they were able to provide all this data that career services just couldn't. And because of that I think they've they've led the way a little bit in um well not a little bit a lot in Australia. So um you know, the use of social media, I know that's not particularly new and exciting, but I don't think I think employers here embrace it a lot and they, you know, often do live Facebook Q and A's and takeovers and really embracing um, the use of um, social media. Also, um something that was quite impressive and, you know, it's, it's still a bit of a um, work in progress that I came across recently was um, an AI bot that one of our banks is using. Um, and if you are interested, it's wendy.westpack.com.au. Yeah. 
We'll put the link. Yeah, we had a... One of the coolest things ever. Give them the credit. It's, it's, you know, it's the pioneering. It's a little bit weird, but it is pretty cool. And it'll be fine. <laughs> it's AI, it'll learn, and it'll, it'll, it'll get there. But it's um, pretty impressive that the. <laughs> oh, you really have played around with Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I've ever had a research Wendy. Um, yeah. yeah, it sounds, sounds really interesting. Like, that's, you think, that's quite new, you, you say? Yeah, it is fairly new, and as I say, she's still learning, and as they fall, you know, robots and machines, they do take a little bit of time to get into their groove. But, uh, you know, it's sort of, if I was a, a young graduate looking for opportunities, thinking I wanted to work in a bank, and I saw a bank has something like that available, you start to get a bit excited, Jeff, yeah, because you're thinking, oh, this is exciting. They're working, the, you know, the, the forefront of technology. They're investing mm. in AI. It, you know, speaks volumes about the organisation. So, yeah, and they're only, only going to grow and improve, aren't they? This, this technology, the more data you put into it, the more they learn and the uh, more it improves. Um, exactly. So, yeah, definitely recommend checking out Wendy from Westpac. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing to look at. Um, mm-hmm. You also mentioned um, uh, virtual internships being yeah. born out of um, Australia too with Inside Sherpa. Yeah, I'd yeah, say a huge success story for um, Australia and the um, recruitment technology industry. So um, a few years ago, um, the co-founder, um, he came up with this idea. Um, he was a law graduate and wanted students to have those virtual um, experience of clerkships in the in the legal um, area, and um, it's just continued to um, grow and grow since then. I believe he's now based overseas in in San Francisco. But um, essentially, what's great about it from a careers um, perspective is that students who typically would struggle to get internships might not have had the ability to undertake internships because they perhaps need to earn money to pay for their rent rather than complete an internship at a rate that maybe isn't competitive and um, they get that exposure it's also um, the organization they get to see um, all these people and it's a bit of a talent pool for them so um, mm. one of the yeah one, one of the virtual internships that's been particularly popular on our campus is um, a KPMG data science internship and um, people didn't typically, well, our students don't typically think of KPMG as an employer of data scientists. So then you create this in virtual internship, and then suddenly all these people who've got those skills are in their talent pool available to KPMG to, you know, t- tap into. And then essentially how it works is students complete a piece of work. Once they complete that piece of work, it unlocks a, grad- a real graduate piece of work. So they can reflect on it, see, okay, was that very different to what I produced? Try and understand, you know, we all have um, different lingo in, in different organisations. Yeah. Talk on the talk of that industry, you know, what, what are their knowledge gaps and help them identify that without anyone seeing them go through that struggle as well. So, hmm. Yeah, they've been, they've been brilliant. We've, um, we've been speaking to Tom and the team there and going um, to be partnering with them to do, yeah. Yeah, to do loads of stuff because I think virtual internships are just such a good idea in the first place. Um, yeah. When you start thinking about obviously levelling the playing field, um, yeah. one, of, one of their big um, reasons they started was because like, they felt that, that talent 
is everywhere, but the opportunity mm-hmm. isn't quite everywhere. Yeah. So you can't go to an internship if you aren't in a certain location, and that's mm-hmm. recruiting you. But actually, there's talent across the globe, and you need to yeah. try and unlock that. And it's, I think it's a great way to, like I say, really level the playing field. Anyone, mm-hmm. at any time of day, of any skills, can complete this and add it to their CV. Um, yeah. So we're, we're really going to try and help them bring their concept to the to the UK, um, <laughs> and I think it's I think it's brilliant what they're doing. Um, yeah. yeah, I think from a from a university perspective, obviously being able to point students in their direction to help upskill them again in their own time. I think yeah. that's one um, one thing I think's come up across a lot of what you've said here is all the tech that's being utilised is it's allowing students mm-hmm. to explore themselves on, on their own time um, and yeah. they come to you uh, once they've upskilled themselves and found different challenges and know a little bit more about maybe their skills, their capabilities and then can try mm-hmm. and I guess hone and tweak from there. Yeah and exactly I think there's so many benefits to it and you know when we are all back on campus and back going to events and those sorts of things I'm sure employers would much rather speak to a student who has completed a virtual internship first, understands their organisation, the level of conversation you can have there as opposed to someone who's read their website, has been following on LinkedIn, you've actually had some real experience that you can talk to and I was going to touch you on the, the social mobility aspect, because mm-hmm. that's come across actually a couple of times. Um, yeah. in, in Certainly in the UK, that's becoming increasingly important for mm-hmm. employers to recruit, recruit a diverse range of talents um, yeah. into the business. So everyone's much more conscious of it that, than I think they have been previously. Yeah. Is that similar to Australia? Uh, how, do you see, yeah. how do you see that working? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do have um, a few... Um, national, I suppose, focuses when it comes to equity groups. So um, I might just share those because um, they might be similar mm-hmm. in, in the UK. So one of the um, students from a non-English speaking background, so we've got a lot of migrants in Australia, so first um, the first generation, perhaps your parents don't speak um, English and moved over recently, so that's, that's one pool. Um, students with an accessibility need, um, Women in non-traditional areas are indigenous um, um, communities, so um, First Nations, and making sure that they're, you know, um, a part of um, higher education in Australia. Our regional and remote students, so um, because of the size of Australia, you know, there's people who live in very, very small towns that are quite isolated. So trying to um, create that pipeline to um, education. And then um, our low socioeconomic status students as well. Um, so, yeah, they're the sort of main priorities that um, universities have. And then they, you'd mm. see similar with um, employers trying to target those, those students. Okay. So there's quite a lot of different um, groups there you've, you've referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. Obviously, there's so many different um, groups to, to reach out to. I think mm-hmm. when we spoke to... Um, to Cathy, when we spoke to her in South Africa and got her take on it, um, she spoke quite a lot about um, how actually there's quite a high youth unemployment and the differences mm-hmm. between rural areas and urban areas is just so vast in South, South Africa. So I wonder yeah. if that's a similar um, challenge, I guess, you'd have uh, in Australia, it sounds like you do. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd say it is, you know, quite quite remote sometimes, and maybe not something that people typically think of. But yeah, you know, towns are quite cut off from the the big cities and makes it quite difficult. So the, there are a number of those universities that are, um, you know, similar to Open University um, online first that tend to attract those students. Um, but yes, then trying to find um, pipelines to get them into employment when um, you know perhaps the the biggest local employer is you know, a couple of hours away. Mm. Employers are, are doing specifically to try to um, try to encourage people from a more socially diverse background to 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 apply yeah. for them or come and work for them. Yeah, so um, we do see um, more and more so now employers and industry getting involved in um, programmes with school students. You know, so one of our challenges is once they've arrived at UTS, we only got what we've got. Yeah, <laughs> we can't like, pick them up. So um, yeah, having employers involved in that process, whether it's through um, scholarships, so we've had um, some equity scholarships that have been really successful with with employers, and then yeah, also initiatives around. Um, you know, we have um, days where we bring students from those um, equity groups onto campus and have an industry sponsor those days and be involved so students can actually um, meet people from those professions that they perhaps wouldn't otherwise come into contact with and, um, yeah, mentoring programs. So we have, um, you know, female um, in technology mentoring programs where first years are buddied up with someone who is, um, you know, C-suite in technology or, you know, senior executive in technology to really help. And um, now that we've got you into a degree, try and help you stay in this industry and how can we help you succeed? So, um, yes, some quite niche programs. We also have internship programs for Indigenous um, students and um, they've been really successful. Um, um, that's called career trackers. Um, very successful um, at helping organisations find that Indigenous talent. So um, yeah, there's quite a organisation spend quite a lot of time um, investing, a space of a lot of the time, resource building those relationships with the schools, with the universities, and then um, the professional associations as well. And that would be wow. across um, all of Australia. Or Employees doing that every university. Yeah. 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 The um, the indigenous indigenous uh, specific yeah. ex- right, work experience. Like say, is that just for uh, those indigenous populations? It is. So it's just um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students. So um, yeah, yeah, it's just for the students, and then um, employers commit to it and they take on interns each year, and there's some real um, you know. Um, some real, uh, sorry, <laughs> some very positive outcomes from um, from those programs where you see, you know, people that have had such a struggle in life and really had, you know, mm. many many challenges to overcome to then be placed in an organisation like Qantas and you know working directly with um, the CEO and having that exposure to, um, you know, a senior executive who takes them under their wing and really helps them shine and then um, with the goal of keeping them in their organisation. So it's, it's not a tick box exercise in any way, shape or form. It's very much 
there's the time commitment that these organisations must put in to um, really support these students that this is quite a different environment for them usually and they, you know, they need champions who are going to help them um, stay. And with mm. that employers in Australia um, are doing mm-hmm. particularly well, so things you think, you know, in comparison based on your time, you know, um, mm-hmm. working in at, at Liverpool and the yeah. market in the UK. Any things that you think, do you know what, employers do these these particular things especially well here in Australia? Yeah. Um, I'd say there's um there's quite a big focus on, you know, um unconscious bias and bias free recruitment, which I'm sure is more and more um as, you know, the norm in the UK. I've not been there a while, so I'd say um, people are pretty um, keen to adopt equity initiatives and things to have a a fairer playing field. Um, Something that isn't employer specific, but more of a supplier specific. I am going to talk about Grad Connection again. I am a a fan of um, Dan Rita, Tom and Alex and the team. They um, (laughs) they do a lot for our industry. So um, something that they do every year, um, I think it was the fifth year this year, was the Grad Connection Top 100s award. I think that's quite unique in Australia, and um, do you want me to share a little bit about, about that? That would be great, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, so um, the Top 100 Awards, essentially it brings together the different stakeholders in grad recruitment space, so um, the um, students go through a recruitment process, and that recruitment process is um, sponsored by suppliers, so usually there's you know four stages to the process, they complete an application form, a video interview, an assessment centre, um, and psychometric testing. So each one of those steps is sponsored by a supplier. So it's, in that sense, it's a great way for suppliers to get their name out to the employers. Employers go, oh, I like that part of the process. You know, that was impressive. <laughs> and then um, so it's a bit of a, a soft promotional activity. <laughs> and then um, employers will sponsor categories. So there's typically around 10 sponsors and um, speaking to Bread Connection recently they have around they typically have around three and a half thousand students apply for these awards so it's you know quite a, a good um, number of applications and um, I should have mentioned this earlier we're sort of in the southern hemisphere on a, a different calendar to the UK so our um, September October time is actually February March time so we're in peak um, graduate recruitment period now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so quite quite a juggle if you're um, a global graduate recruitment manager with all the different um, yeah. different times. Um, but what, what's so great about the awards is the final assessment centre, which is held um, at UCS, happens early February. So this is um, the students have just had this opportunity to go through a mock graduate application process. And then um, the employers get to see all of these applications and choose a finalist, the finalist and the winner. And then often um, the winner or the, the top 10 finalists will, will get a, you know, a, an offer or a fast track through their application process for um, their graduate program that's just opening up that year. So um, I think it's one of those programs where it's just a real win-win for everyone involved. It's mm. a, they get 
media exposure, they get to go through the process, they get to build their networks with employers, with their peers who have also been identified, suppliers get to showcase their work, employers get to say, hey, we're amazing, come and work for us. <laughs> so there's just so many um, benefits to it that I think it's um, something that is a real positive kind of year for our industry and a great sort of launch to the graduate recruitment season. Yeah, it sounds um, very similar to, I guess, what Target Jobs do uh, with mm-hmm. their undergraduate of the year. I think they do a very yeah. similar, having different, uh, say, finance undergraduate of the year and banking yeah. undergraduate of the year and have lots of different areas and bring those those all together uh, for one big event at the end. And it, uh, it sounds really good. And I think with the top 100 um, approach, yeah. it sounds similar. We've got a, there's a student newspaper called The, the Tab uh, here mm-hmm. in the UK uh, that has a lot of I think top 100 students, you can either vote for them or they're based on certain requirements uh, as yeah. well. So I think it's a nice combination of the two, and I think they do work uh, work really well. Again. <laughs> yeah. So in that, you've referenced also the time of year being such an important factor in the whole um, mm-hmm. calendar. And you've mentioned yeah. you're obviously on a different calendar to everyone else. Yeah. So whereas I think in the UK at the moment, we're going into Easter term, and yeah. trying to turn all our academic lectures online and then try mm-hmm. and complete the year with online assessments if we can or try and work out how to, I guess, complete all the end-of-year assessments if they can't yeah. be done. And I think there's a lot of conversations at the moment about how actually that that works in light of the mm-hmm. whole uh, corona situation. But yeah. you're in a very different situation, whereas you're suddenly on campus and mm-hmm. approaching this probably five to six months before it hits the UK. Mm-hmm. And we have to decide what happens from a September perspective. So what, what, yes. what's your take on how it's, it's worked? Yeah, no, it, did, um, it really did shake us all up a little bit. Um, we went, in, we had our careers fair week one of semester, and literally that was on the Wednesday, and then by the Friday came, it was everyone off campus no longer um, able to come mm. on campus. Week one of the semester, which is peak period for graduate recruitment. So, um, our equivalent of ISE is doing weekly um, pulse checks with industry to go, okay, what are you doing? How are things changing in your industry? How are you pivoting? And um, the biggest things that we've seen is um, people people seem to be adapting pretty pretty well, but it has been very interesting to have the weekly the weekly updates being very much appreciated. But um, we're seeing lots, we already had quite a lot of um, employers utilising video interviews, but we're seeing that skyrocket. But um, we're also seeing um, the organisations are planning to have virtual assessment centres. So it's been um, actually quite lovely seeing the sector come together to say, okay, we're all in this challenge together. How are we going to, you know, how are we going to manage it? Virtual um, assessment mm. centres, not something we've ever done before. Do you know what? What? How are you going to do it and share those um, stories? Um, the assessment centres were probably about another two two weeks away. But in the careers team, we've seen that um, some of our large graduate employers have been extending application closing dates. So um, I think because of all the changes that have happened, they've actually said, okay, we're not ready to close yet, we need to extend. We've also seen um, an increase in the careers team of employers um, advertising expression of interest. 
Um, so essentially, okay. yeah, not advertising a graduate role, but saying, are you interested in the graduate role? Because I think there's maybe a bit of hesitation around what might happen and what they can commit to right now. Um, so yeah, so those be the main changes that we've seen. But um, I'd say on the whole, considering it's sort of right smack in the bang of things, right smack in the middle of things even, um, yeah, we've seen the the online move quite, happen quite quite quick and um, employers, because we'd be going into our internship recruitment period in you know July, um, looking at how they can um, offer virtual internships and what that might look like, so an increase in, in that as well. Mm. Sounds like a, uh, the UK can learn from Australia um, coming into uh, you know the campus season and what that might look like, and Australia yeah. can learn from the UK in terms of what the what it's going to be like for running internships uh, potentially during yeah. when it might not be um, as straightforward. Yeah, no, yeah. A really Jack, what, what have you found from an assessment perspective? I guess because that's where the UK is going through this at the moment. I guess to say at the moment, this is April as we're recording, um, mm-hmm. and I think that will, the assessments will continue to go over over the summer. What's your take uh, on the assessment side of it, and how we've had to adapt? Uh, I'd say, yeah, most people are looking to try and run them virtually, mm-hmm. and um, it's quite interesting actually in the way that they're looking to do that because as you go through and you talk to people about that and how they might adapt it. Um, I had a few conversations with people who actually kind of looking forward to it being a permanent change. Mm. Especially people oh, wow, travel. already? <laughs> yeah, especially, especially people have to travel all over the UK. So sometimes they might have to do mm. assessments in one week in London, Birmingham, Glasgow, Liverpool. And each day of the week they have to go to a different place to run mm-hmm. the assessment. And they're saying it would be much yeah. better for them and potentially much better for the students if they didn't have to, uh, didn't have to do that. So I think for yeah. um, not for all employers because I think for I think most employers are going to continue where possible to do them face to face. But I think um, a, um, a, re- a relatively decent sized uh, number of employers will will look to um, potentially run there as a as a permanent thing. And it's a great trial for them to be able to create that business case. Cause yeah, it's almost like an enforced trial, isn't it? Yeah, you often don't have the opportunity to. Right, you might have the idea, but it's hard to go to the business and say. We'd like to totally change what we do, and no one else in the market's doing it, but we want to try it. It's quite hard. Mm. But I think if you've got a bunch of yeah. people to do it, you, you've then suddenly got yeah. an opportunity. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how it changes how it changes some things. Yeah, because we've, we've spoken to some some companies that have been thinking, obviously, being under pressure from a financial perspective to reduce, say, travel costs, um, especially if you're like say travelling across uh, the UK. Um, there's also a metric that is to consider is your carbon footprint, which mm. is an increasingly uh, green agenda which is being pushed. And if you're having to travel all across the country, get students to have to travel from wherever they need to go to get to the office uh, for the assessment, you know, the carbon footprint of an assessment day is actually a lot higher or extremely high compared to what it would be if it was just online. So there might be some metrics that, like you say, Jack, that... I almost see this whole situation almost fast forward in the industry about five or ten years in that mm-hmm. we'd be doing this sort of stuff in, you know, 2025, 2030, but we've actually had to suddenly overnight just click and adapt straight away and it has, you know, like I say, moved, moved us forward a lot faster than we thought we'd, we would do. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Uh, that's been fascinating learning all about uh, how you do graduate recruitment in Australia. And um, hopefully the listeners, whether you're an employer or a university, can take loads out of that in terms of how, um, I guess, the, just the prominence of, of the, the digital first approach um, out on certain campuses and obviously the social mobility aspect of all the initiatives that you're, you're running too. So, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we'll let you enjoy your evening. So we'll say uh, goodbye from Ollie. And goodbye from Jack. Yeah, uh, And that you. is the end of Series 4 of the Early Careers Podcast. So we'll do a wrap-up and we will uh, speak to you all in Series 5. See you next time. Bye. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed, we'll help you work with Generation Z, with all the information that you'll need, it's the Jack and Ollie Show.